the known universe with its heroes and marvels. But what of the darkness? In our modern world, this is where monsters dwell. Tomb Believers to another exciting episode of the Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel horror podcast. My name is James Hickson. And I'm Trey Lawson. And folks, we've got another exciting grab bag episode for you. Right. This was exciting, Trey, because even we don't know what we're going to cover on this episode. That's right. We have thrown a bunch of the titles. We, we came up with a whole list of, of just one-off issues random things that that we always said we'd like to talk about but didn't really fit into a theme and we've put them all into a randomizer to to give us a a list of what issues we should talk about today that's right so we're gonna go ahead and spin the wheel now and see what our first issue is and trey if you'll do the honors of course Thank you, Van. I mean, Trey. And our first issue is... Oh, it's What If. We like What If. Not just any What If. It's What If number one. Ooh. And, and the so, first so what issue. If, what If No Ellipsis, right? Hold on. So, okay, That's... this is a pet peeve of mine. If you ever go to the Marvel database, the unofficial wiki for the Marvel Universe, they consider the 70s What If and the... What is it? 80s, 90s? What if to yeah. to both be volume one? Because the the 70s one is what if without an ellipsis, which is a different title than the later one, which is what if with an ellipsis. Oh my god, that's bullshit! So they so they're both volume one. It is that insanity. Is, that is, but for our purposes, this is what if volume one. <laughs> yeah, this is the 1977 series. Right. Right. So that's going to be our first issue. And, of course, that issue is what if Spider-Man had joined the Fantastic Four, a classic. Yeah. And let's see. I'll just get, go ahead and give the wheel another spin. Huh. What would we get? Okay, we got another what if. Do you want to respin? I mean, w- which what if? Okay, it is what if number six? What if the Fantastic Four had gotten different powers? Huh. I mean, it's an interesting one. I'm fine with it if you are. Yeah, no, let, let's. Yeah, I'm fine with it if you are. It. I mean, we we like Fantastic Four. Okay, do we do we want to go for a third? I mean, three is a charm, right? Yeah, we'll get something different on the third. Yeah, we'll get some Ghost Rider or or. Maybe something with Mephisto. Yeah. Mm. Oh, you know, you know, Dracula would be nice. Yeah. Right? I haven't talked about Dracula yeah. in a while. Like maybe yeah. the one where Dracula punches Silver Surfer in the face. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and 
after, after go ahead yeah, after okay. you okay come on big money big money come on dracula come on dracula those are some money no whammies no whammies no whammies what about moon knight What'd we get? I'm just gonna spin it again. I'm just but, gonna. But no, 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 no. What? What is like, it? What is it? Uh, it's what if. <laughs> okay, wait, okay, okay. But even within what if, there's a lot of possibilities here, right? There's a lot of different stuff yeah. we could get. Which what if did we get? Hold on. It's huh. what if Invisible Girl of the Fantastic Four married to Submariner? I mean, Namor's pretty cool. It's three Fantastic Four comics, right? Right. That's weird. Yeah. Statistically improbable. Uh-huh. But what if we just read them anyway? I can always edit this all out and we'll just sure. like pick our own. Yeah. We we're married to the conceit at this point. Yeah, I we're mean we're married to the concept. We, we we said we'd do whatever the randomizer spit out. Yeah. And what it so. has given us are three alternate reality Fantastic Four stories. Yay. Woo! I mean, I, I like the Fantastic Four. Like, I do, too. I, I really do like the Fantastic Four. I am really excited about the MCU Fantastic Four whenever they the freak they decide to make the sure, thing. Sure, And I'm, at least, and these all seem to be throwing back to, like, Lee Kirby FF. Yeah, the Stan and Jack days. Yeah, good stuff. And so that, that could be fun on its own terms, just sort of the, the second generation of Marvel looking back at and revising the first generation of Marvel. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure it'll be fun. Yeah. Let, let's get into it. These will be fun. Yeah. What if is always fun. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to go ahead and take, take a quick break, promote some friend shows, and we'll be right back with What If Volume 1, Issue 1, right after these messages. In 1975, Jaws was released. It is routinely regarded as one of the greatest films of all time and is generally credited with creating the concept of the summer blockbuster. In 1978, in an obvious cash grab, Jaws 2 was released, failing to have lightning strike a second time, but presenting a generally enjoyable film. In 1983, Jaws 3D was released shamelessly attempting to take advantage of a gullible audience. By 1987, there was no pretense of quality as Lorraine Gary and Michael Caine cashed paychecks for sleepwalking through a pointless and incredulous sequel. In 2016, Paul Spatero created Is It Jaws, in which he and a group of rotating guest hosts discuss new and old movies and place them up against the Jaws scale which ignores some elements of the actual films and sets forth a rating scale. Jaws, an all-time great classic film. Jaws 2, an enjoyable film with some flaws but worthy of multiple viewings. Jaws 3, a moderately enjoyable film. And finally, Jaws 4, a bad movie. Please join Paul and his guests as they ask the ever-important question, Is it Jaws? Hey Spidey, isn't Marvel's new Pizzazz Magazine fantastic? Fantastic! 
but not perfect. But Pizzazz has the lowdown on Jaws, too. And more Sean Cassidy picks than his mother. It's sensational. Sensational but not perfect. How about Pizzazz's Goofy Guide to TV? It's wild look at sci-fi movies. It's games, puzzles, comics. What could be more perfect? Me on the cover, not the Hulk. Pizzazz, the almost perfect new monthly from the off-the-wall gang at Marvel Comics. Welcome back, Tomb Believers. Our first issue in this impromptu what-if grab bag is What If Volume 1, Number 1. Artist Un, sorry, writer on this one is Roy Thomas, creator of the series. Artist is Jim Craig on pencils. Pablo Marcos on inks. Letter is John Costanza. Janice Cohen is our colorist. And our story begins with Tor Johnson. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean the, the Watcher. The, the Watcher doing an amazing Tor Johnson impression. The Watcher explained to us the idea of the multiverse. The idea that things that we may have known to have happened might happen differently in other worlds, thinly separated from our own. And to illustrate this, he gives us various examples from recent Marvel comics of the time. We've got the... I believe it's the Reed Richards of Counter-Earth who received the powers of the thing. Yep. We've got an alternate, an altered timeline where the Nazis won the Second World War yep. and the invaders had to team up with the time-traveling Fantastic Four <laughs> to... Go ahead. Finish. We then... Time-traveling to Fantastic Four. We then, of course, are reminded of the Squadron Supreme and all their various... Incarnations. Yep. They seem fairly familiar to us, Trey. A little bit. We've got the one where a strange visitor from another world punched Spider-Man in the face. Or as I like to call it, a strange visitor from another comics company. <laughs> uh, uh, and of course, uh, the uh, Marvel adaptation of War of the Worlds, which spawned the Killraven character. Killraven character. Uh, not to be confused with um, the Ape Slayer. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's another alternate Earth. Right. Actually, yeah, it would be. And then, of course, there's Deathlock. But that's, those are the worlds the Watcher's here to tell us about today, because he's going to tell us about a world where Spider-Man joined the Fantastic Four. And, of course, this diverges from Amazing Spider-Man number one, where a then-novice Peter Parker slash Spider-Man decides that he could make a pretty good living with his spider powers by... Uh, joining the Fantastic Four. This is after the point, of course, where he has saved John Jameson's life in his capsule. But, of course, Jonah's given him a hard time in a Daily Bugle already. And he's like, you know what? I don't need these headaches. I need money. I'm going to go join the Fantastic Four. You know, if he'd only waited. If he'd only waited a few more months, he could have joined the Avengers and actually gotten a paycheck. Right, That's right. what I'm saying here. Tony Stark would have just given him a company credit card and he'd have been good. Yeah. Ooh, the, the company credit cards are actually golden. Yeah. <laughs> like literally, I, I, all I can think of is it was one of the the 2010s relaunches of things. Heroic Age, maybe I think it was Marvel Heroic Age, where they're going Avengers going back to basics, and Tony is going around recruiting people to join the Avengers for this new relaunched thing, and. Spider-Man is is sort of reluctant to sign on because he's gotten burned in the past. And by Tony, especially. Right, yeah. And and Tony says, but we have money. And Spider-Man embraces him, says, oh, thank God. <laughs> 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 I, 
I know. Remember the, the panel? That's a good. That's a fun one. But yeah. So of course we get a little bit of a replay of Amazing Spider-Man number one. Spider-Man tight walk tightrope walks across the buildings to the Baxter building, sneaks in through an open window, but of course it's actually a trap from the Fantastic Four security system. He does some battling with the Fantastic Four before revealing the real reason for his coming there. Hey, I want some money. (laughs) Give me some money. Um, I do love love the bit, both in this and in Spider-Man number one, where Reed Richards is like, we don't actually do that <laughs> we don't make money <laughs> which is also blatantly not true like oh, reed richards is not. incredibly wealthy yes despite how often he loses the damn building right. and the company and like everything like i i'm sorry ben i i invested your life savings in crypto coin <laughs> i'm pretty sure that was a storyline at one point i'm pretty sure Def- it definitely happened okay, in you a beat mo- me to it I, I had a bored apes joke ready to go but i was waiting till we got to the red ghost <laughs> Uh, damn, that's good. Okay. Um, so, yeah, they're like, hey, we don't do that. And Spider-Man's like, well, shucks, and swings off. Or at least that's what happened in the 616 universe. Because in this universe, just as he's swinging off, Sue Storm, it's Sue Storm at this point, even as a girl, not even as a woman, thank you, John Byrne. Not something I'll often say. Sue Storm calls out, Spider-Man, wait. And he swings back, and they're like, hey, maybe we can work something out. And so, there's a press conference later at night, and it's announced to the world that Spider-Man is joining, not the Fantastic Four, but the rechristened Fantastic Five. And there's a fun little bit where J. Jonah Jameson is like, hey, wait a minute, he's a menace. Mm. And Reed Richards says, well, I, I, I personally vouch for him. Then he's a great guy, always been a fan. I also just, there's a bit there where he, Spider-Man's a menace. And Spider-Man's like, and who are you again? Because it's so early in his run that he would not have met Jameson yet. Yeah, he's he's just one of those talking heads dudes. They all look alike. It's true. (laughs) Let's be honest here. And then we we see some various events unfolding differently. The chameleon is thwarted in his still embryonic plan to impersonate Spider-Man, realizing that he can no longer do so with Spider-Man no longer wanted by the police. The Fantastic Five make short work of the vulture i'm kind of upset here because the way they defeat the vulture here is like johnny just burns his wings off i would have liked a little bit of the old magnet fun like hey reed figured out you're you're using magnus in five seconds flat right there we'll activate the secret electromagnet in in the front compartment of the fantastic car (laughs) the vulture just being prayed around like a hood ornament (laughs) and then of course we go to the events of fantastic for number 13, where in our universe, the Reed, Sue, Johnny, and Ben all go off to the moon. By the way, guys, didn't, didn't, I don't know if you know this, Fantastic Four, first people on the moon. Yep. Yep. Just like Human Torch is the one that killed Hitler. Not this Human Torch, the other Human Torch. But right. Jim Hammond. Yeah. Yeah, Jim Hammond. Jim Hammond killed Hitler. Secret history. But of course, in this reality, instead of Reed, Sue, Johnny, and Ben going off. It's Reed, Johnny, Ben, and Spider-Man that go to the moon because apparently Reed didn't have time to install a fifth seat in his <laughs> rocket ship. I mean, there are so many ways around this. Uh-huh. Like, the Spider-Man we know would be like, oh, no problem, I'll just web a hammock <laughs> for myself. Let's go! But I don't need a seat, the, I'll just stick uh, to the ceiling. Yeah, there you go. But then events play out pretty much... As we know before, the Watcher intercedes, 
Hey, Watcher, how you doing? Good to see you. By the way, it occurs to me, is is the Watcher in What If the 616 Watcher? Yes. Is he the only Watcher? Because he actually says okay. in the captions here that this is him. Yes, I, the okay, Watcher, but, are there. Oh, but that's but, but he's what, in that reality. Yeah, like... Is the Watcher for our, for the 616 universe the same Watcher for other universes? So I think that has changed over time. Because here, okay. here the Watcher pretty clearly suggests that he is extra-dimensional. Like, the Watcher is the Watcher no matter what reality you're in. Sort of the way the New Gods are in DC now. Oh, really? Um, like, in, in DC, anytime Darkseid is there, regardless of whether it's Earth-1, Earth-2, whatever, it is an aspect of the one dark side that exists. Okay. And this all goes back to Grant Morrison's redesign of the map of the multiverse in multiversity. Okay. Uh, that basically right. the new gods, what is it, apocalypse and I forget the other planet, new Genesis mm-hmm. that, yeah, that is on the same plane as like heaven, hell, things like that, that they exist outside of the, the dimensions. That, yep, that's Grant Morrison. And that seems to be sort of what's going on here with The Watcher. And yet, I can tell you for a fact, there are alternate versions of The Watcher on some of the other alternate realities. Yeah, there have to be. Because, like, The Watcher has died in other realities, right? Yep. Including 616. <laughs> so, uh, okay, like, MCU, it appears just be one Watcher. Yes. Although we've seen other Watchers. But are those other members of the Watchers race? Well, right. Are there They're other, other, are they other, other versions watchers, of Uatu? Lowercase w, not other Uatus. Okay. Yeah, what I'm asking is, like, is Uatu the Watcher for all the universes, all the, mul- the whole multiverse, or just 616? Or does each universe in the multiverse have their own Uatu? And see, sometimes it's even suggested that each sort of part of space has their own watcher, right? Like, it seems like Uatu is specifically yeah. assigned to Earth. Yeah. And and I guess it's yes. nebulous as to whether that means he's assigned to just Earth 616 or if he is watching all versions of Earth all at once. Yeah. The, the, so the, sh- the no prize version that I will just throw out there, his job, okay. he, the, the job of Uatu the watcher is to watch and not interfere with Earth of 616 and its surrounding planets. Like the that sort mm-hmm. of sector. Watu is bad at his job. Oh, bad. So bad at his job. He interferes all the time. And when there's yeah. nothing to interfere in, he gets bored. And so he starts channel <laughs> surfing. I, I love the MCU version of Watu. <laughs> I, I, re- I really do. Me too. It's like, it's like, you know, the, the, the 616 version of Watu is like, it is my solemn duty to observe these worlds, but I must not intercede. And the the, the, the MCU Watu is kind of like, shh, daddy's stories are on. <laughs> but no, I'm serious. Like, that's the thing is, what if the concept of what if is really just Uatu channel surfing through the extra dimensional cable? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not his job. He sh- he's not supposed to be looking at that stuff. But he's bored. Oh, you're, oh no. Uh, have an Excel spreadsheet ready when your boss comes in. <laughs> Quick, oh. how do I clear the watch history on this thing? <laughs> oh, ooh. Hmm. We've spent a lot of time on the swimsuit issue universe. <laughs> but somehow 
the Uatu the Watcher, who is implied to be the same Uatu who is narrating the story, shows up to stop the Red Ghost. Oh, right. I'm doing a summary. Okay. So <laughs> this, this, this issue's long, James. <laughs> <laughs> it is giant size. By the way, it claims to be... Hold on. It, on the cover, it claims to be all new, cover to cover, giant size issue. Although they, they don't say giant size issue. It's a giant size issue, yeah. let's be honest here. That's a lie, by the way. <laughs> it is not all new, cover to cover. There's a lot of recap here. We'll talk about it in a second. But so while Sue is observing all this on the all seeing Baxter building computers, apparently, she receives a telepathic call from the Submariner. And he calls her to him. And she finds him on the on the docks. And she's like, what's wrong? You seem so odd, so strange. And Namor roofies her. I mean, sorry, no. Namor brings out the Hypnofish. Which apparently the sole purpose is kidnapping women. Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, this is, a, this is a creature. Evolutionarily designed, apparently, to kidnap people. Which it puts her into a trance. And then deploys a little sack to put her in which all of this is straight out of fantastic four number 14 i'm I'm just saying how how how, i guess like i guess maybe the mesmeration ability is there to like mesmerize prey and then the sack comes out to preserve prey as food for later but ah, it's so weird and i'm mad my brain came up with a way to justify that (laughs) Oh no, you sent me something. Just the panel from Fantastic Four number 14. Oh, it's exactly the same. Okay. Anyway, Namor has kidnapped Sue, but of course we find out that Namor is actually being controlled himself by the Puppet Master as part of a complicated revenge plot on Fantastic Four. And this is at a time um, when they all think he's dead. Yep. So the Fantastic Four then return to their headquarters, and th- there's a bit of continuity confl- conflict here. Because they're like, they're doing an experiment, and Johnny's like, Reed, we're only doing this because you're killing time while my sister's away visiting our cousin in Schenectady, like her note said. And then Namor shows up later as a hologram to say, hey, I've kidnapped Sue. Ha 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 ha. Which I guess, again, is something Pub Master's making him do. So then Human Torch goes searching all over the, the Baxter building to try to find Sue. And like, Johnny, you just said that Sue is visiting your cousin in Schenectady. She's not going to be there. I mean, so there, Roy is so dedicated to recapturing the style of Lee and Kirby (laughs) that he has actually deliberately misread the images that have been drawn so that when he creates the dialogue, it doesn't really fit. Um, he, 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 he's perfectly recreating how dumb Johnny Storm was in the era. Right, so for just these two pages, it is specifically Strange Tales era. Johnny Storm. <laughs> Strange, t- Strange Tales Johnny Storm. It's like, hey, my sister's away. Where's my sister? <laughs> Johnny Storm, memory of a goldfish. Yeah. yeah. And that, I-, I can only imagine that Spider-Man's trolling him here by joining in on right. the search. This is, this is very much the behavior of a kid who gave himself a secret identity even though all of them had public identities. Like, hey, no one must find out my secret identity. Now they go do a Life magazine interview. Right. Like they were appearing on television in the Fantastic Four book, 
Whereas in, in Strange Tales, he was trying to maintain his secret identity with the entire town just humoring him because it was so sad. Yes. Just, ugh. Like, should we say something? He could burn us to death. <laughs> no. Just let it go. Just let it go. This must be a thing the kids do these days, like <laughs> rock and roll. Uh, and all, all the kids have secret identities these, day, these days. <laughs> that Richard Starkey kid calls himself Ringo. It'll be fine. But, <clears throat> uh, so of course, Reed builds a submarine. The submarine is captured by a giant clam, which again happened, I know, in the Stan and Jack story, but did they need to include the part where they get captured by a giant clam? <laughs> And Namor reveals that he is keeping Sue captive in a giant aquarium inside a giant glass pearl, I think, pearl-looking thing, guarded by the world's largest, the the, the world's mightiest octopus. It's not going to pick your Super Bowl winners for you, but it'll it'll guard blondes for you. Mm. So there's some fighty fight here, which, I mean, I don't remember the, the original story well enough to remember exactly how much of a difference Spider-Man makes in a story for this. But needless to say, they rescue Sue, break her out of her glass pearl prison, and Sue said and Sue says, wait. And they're they're just about to fight Namor, and Sue's like, wait, wait, I've made a decision. You don't really need me on the Fantastic Four anymore. Spider-Man has more than replaced me and supplanted me. I'm gonna stay here with Namor and become his bride. And to drive that home, Namor's like, great, I have a machine here which will permanently alter your biology forever. Right. He, he does the, like, the Superman 2 thing. He does the Superman 2 thing, except he does it to her. And it's it, it's very much the equivalent of, okay, I'll go on a date with you. Fantastic. Let's move in together. Right, right. And so Sue is now a water breather, and she immediately starts, like, gasping for breath because like she's in an oxygen filled chamber because he has guests over so she starts dying so he's like oh the best thing to do here is destroy machine well he doesn't destroy machine he destroys the glass around the chamber and the chamber floods i kind of would like to have seen the fantastic four struggling to survive the incoming water yes but apparently sue is altered forever and the fantastic five is now once again the fantastic four as the menfolk hang their heads and leave. And then the Watcher says something about choices being made, and I know, for I am the Watcher. Next issue, what has to be Peter David's favorite issue of What If? (laughs) What if the Hulk had always had Bruce Banner's brain? You know, I, 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 I did the free trial of Marvel Unlimited, and Marvel Unlimited has a has a reading list available for readers of all the issues of what if that have since come true. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> this is one of them. Jane Foster Thor is another one and and so on. Sure. Yeah. So I, I'm going to go ahead and lay my cards on the table. I think I've said this before, but I find muscular Uatu to be incredibly creepy and off-putting. Yeah. I definitely prefer big head, mm-hmm. tiny body Uatu. Yeah. No, this this looks like, I don't know, me Amuatu, me watch Multiverse 2. I mean, he looks like Tor Johnson. Yes. I'm sorry. He looks like Tor Johnson. Time for go to bed. Time for go to what if. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so the issue, need I guess, needed the extra pages 
to set up the premise. Because up to this point, Marvel hadn't really done imaginary stories like and, no. and and I should be careful no. using that term because Roy Thomas always pushed back that what if was not imaginary stories, that there was a difference. These are happening somewhere. Well, and that that an imaginary story could be literally any random premise, whereas a what yeah. if story always begins from some event that is known and then diverges. Which my argument for that would be what if number something or other in this volume what if world war ii had been fought in space right <laughs> which is an actual issue of it's this got a comic. glorious cover a great cover it it makes no sense right. there's no point of divergence there and speaking of covers evidently so the cover is by jim craig who did the interiors but evidently john romita did finishes on it which i i, I wonder if he touched up the spider-man almost certainly in fact, he probably touched up everybody because remember he had done Fantastic Four. That's right, as well. That's right. And if something I've noticed about this book is Jim Craig's fine, mm-hmm. it's just that people are all all seem maybe a, a little bit off. Yeah, just a little bit. He, he's he's aiming for. I think what gets complicated is he's trying to do a throwback to Silver Age style, but yeah. but the problem is it is a Fantastic Four comic and a Spider Man comic. Which means that you have to choose Kirby or Ditko. Yes. And he definitely chose Kirby. Right, right. And so Peter Parker, when you see him unmasked especially, has the Jack Kirby square jaw look, which is not quite right for Peter Parker. Yeah. We barely see Peter Parker in his He comedy, takes off his way. mask like twice. Yeah. Uh, I do like – so yeah, there is a good amount of page space here spent on – explaining what a multiverse is and the concept, the conceit of the series, which I think is justified for a first issue. Sure. Sure. And I'll be honest, I really liked a recap of what a multiverse is. Sure. For one thing, I I was not expecting a Superman cameo in this comic. I grinned so much when I got to that panel that made me happy. Yeah. I mean, it's just his fist, but still, very nice. Yep. Very yep. nice. Although, it made me wonder, um, what's the amalgam version of what if? Oh. Is it what else? <laughs> is it is it imagine if? That would be it. Imagine if. Or, you think no, so? Imagine that. Fe- imagine oh. that dot dot See, dot. I, I, feel, I feel like this is something that was referenced in one of those fake editorial notes. Probably. And I'm just forgetting. Probably. As seen in the legendaries, da 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 da, are the fake letter columns. I feel like somebody has said it and it's somewhere in one of the books. And no, no, no. go ahead. What else? Yeah, that was what I said it, first. Was that what you said first? Yeah. Okay. The, the, yes, because I, I do think else needs to be in there somewhere. Yeah. Because, because it's funny, because imaginary stories begat what if, which begat else worlds. Like it's it's a circle. Yeah, <laughs> they're they're sort of feeding off each yeah. other. Like, I I really wonder how many what if stories spawned from people from the bullpen just sitting around after hours, being like, "Hey, what if?" Mm-hmm. or "What if?" or especially with some of the later crowd, "Hey, what if?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Maybe not Roy. Yeah. But, um, it, it does seem like this issue spends an awful lot of time essentially just photoshopping Spider-Man into existing stories. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, as far as, like, actual events occurring, like, actual fights going, having an extra person here doesn't seem to make much difference. Right. Well, especially, we've got one, two, three, four, four and a half pages that are essentially just redoing the events of Amazing Spider-Man number one. Yeah. Like, it takes four and a half pages from our first look at Spider-Man for events to diverge. And... Different era, you know, Bronze Age was its own thing, but I have to think that if this book was printed today, that would be two pages tops. Oh, yeah. To, to get you to the point where Sue says, wait, come back. Or we would do the thing where there'd be a gatefold, the gatefold recapping what has gone before. And I feel like in the actual, like, later what yeah. if, that's what they had. Sure, sure. It's just, again, like when we start to get into the gatefold era, they couldn't count on everyone being familiar with what what I think we now rightfully think of as, as a fairly well-known event from the first issue of Spider-Man. Yes. And, like, it starts the relationship between Spider-Man and Fantastic Four. And it's weird, like, because we've seen so many comics with Spider-Man and teaming up with the Fantastic Four since this. Yeah. I think... It, he feels so distant from them in this story, even though he's supposed to be a member of the team. Like, he's still walking or go, swinging around the Baxter building with his mask on. Right, right. He reveals his identity to them, but is allowed to keep it secret from the public. Yes. But why is he wearing his mask around them? Why aren't they calling him Peter? Like, I think maybe once somebody calls him Parker. Yeah, and, and I get that you, you wouldn't want to do it in public. Yes. But he, Although I think he does do it in public. Right, right. But yeah, when they're in private, it's always webhead this or spidey that. And it annoys me as well that his costume really doesn't change. No, he, they add a number five to the bottom part of the spider. And that's it. The the, 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 the abdomen. So the spider looks pregnant. And right. Carrying it, an egg it sack, becomes, the spider really just becomes sort of a large oval with legs sticking out of it. Which, I want him to have a matching uniform. Right. We don't get that until Spider-Man joins the Fantastic Four as part of the future right, foundation. Right, where they have the black and white uniform, where he's Johnny's replacement. He's Johnny's replacement when they think Johnny's dead. And he shows up in a homemade Fantastic Four costume. And they're like, yeah, we don't do that anymore. <laughs> yeah, take 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 that off. Uh, take that but off. I did like the black and white outfit that he got. Yeah, I really liked his homemade Fantastic Four outfit. Which I can only imagine he made that from the Bagman out- outfit. Right, because he held on to gave. it. He held on to it. Because why wouldn't you? It's, it's a source of unstable molecules. Go for it, man. Yep. Yep. Peter Parker's like, I'm pretty sure the price of this is like $2 million. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not throwing this away. <laughs> I, I, I just shove it in the bottom of my closet. I just think that there had to be a point where he was like, is there some sort of like metahuman eBay I could put this on? <laughs> Well, remember what how much trouble Johnny got into for selling Unstable Molecules in Mark Wade's run. Yep. Yeah, I do like the bit here where Reed's like, okay, gang, tear off your outer emblems like we discussed. And the big reveal is that there's a five under the four. Yes, because 
They're Velcro. Yes. It's all Velcro. Oh, wait a minute. Speaking of leaving unstable molecules lying around, how many pairs of underwear has Johnny Storm left in random women's apartments? <laughs> <laughs> they don't realize they 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 they, they, pay, they can pay off their student debt yep. with that. <laughs> I do also oh, like that because man. this is so early in the existence of the Marvel Universe, Spider-Man and Johnny are still antagonistic toward each other. Yes. Like they don't get along because yes. it took years for them to become friends. Yeah. And oh goodness, there's so much classic team-ups between the two of them, including Marvel team-up right. number one. No, I was going to say, really, it took the existence of Marvel team-up to cement them as a, a pair of friends. Exactly. Exactly. And if re- listeners, if you have not done so, I highly, highly recommend the Dan Slott miniseries, Spider-Man and the Human Torch. It is lots of fun. That's a good one. Lots of fun. It's a really good one, yeah. Um, and of course, you could also go back to our coverage of the first appearance of Morbius. So I think in that episode, we also covered one of the Marvel team-up issues with Johnny Storm. I think it's shortly afterwards. I don't think it's the same episode, but yeah. Early early on. I remember we did that one fairly early in the podcast existence. Fairly early, fairly early. Because it's, it's like, I think it's Morbius' second appearance. That sounds right. Morbius' second appearance. His first appearance is the uh, Yeah. But apparently, Spider-Man being part of Fantastic Four doesn't make a whole lot of difference, except for Sue Storm doesn't feel useful. Right. And this and is also before she has her force field powers. It is, even though she uses those abilities, kind of. Sort of. So, yeah. Hmm. But <clears throat> my, 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 my problem here is the whole Sue deciding to go to Namor. Like, oh, I don't feel like a useful member of the team. So you don't love Reed anymore? Like, I get that Reed has a hard time connecting emotionally. It has always been so in my head canon that Reed is mildly autistic. Mm-hmm. And he is, and hence he has problems connecting on a personal level. But at the same time, I don't I don't see Sue just jumping right into bed with Namor. Like, the Sue-Reed-Namor triangle has always been for me, okay, I really love Reed, but he doesn't give me the attention I need, and Namor's really hot. Right. It always has seemed more of a physical attraction to me. I guess it would play, the, the closing of this issue would play better for me if during the fight she had not been stuck in a death trap. Yeah. Yeah. Like, if she was safe and they were just trying to get to where she was. Exactly. Like, if he had, like, set her up on a nice couch somewhere, had people fanning her, right, right. feeding her sea grapes, like or not, whatever. Like, not in danger. Yeah, not a giant octopus sque- threatening to squeeze her to death. Because I, I'm, like, I, I do think that there's... Although some people are into that. I, I so, do you think know. there's more to her feelings for Namor than pure physical attraction. He is a man who pays attention to her, whereas Reed really doesn't. Right. Now, that said, looking at Namor's issues with relationships in his own solo book, I feel like that would not last. No, no. I feel very much it's the, all right, that's a notch on the bedpost. So should I call you an Uber? Well, just, I mean, in his own way, like Reed, Namor has issues prioritizing. Yes. With Namor, that tends to be 
more about politics and pride rather than scientific innovation, but there are similarities. I, I guess what I'm saying is Sue has a type. Y- yeah. <laughs> you know, it makes me wonder, how the hell did the Illuminati work? Oh, that had to be awkward every single time they met. Every single time they met. Especially in this reality. Yep. The the Yeah, because like... We'll we'll talk about it. We'll come back to the <laughs> Illuminati, I think, on our third issue. Uh, Shall we? Sure. Oh boy. I just don't I don't buy the decision made here. It it's and, and it's the first of many times that what if takes a leap of logic beyond what the original conceit allows for. Yeah. I think there are ways to do this to write this where it makes sense. I think maybe not by Roy Thomas. So, I, again, I think having her threatened by the giant octopus is a problem. I think also you could take at least two pages from the first third of the book and apply them to the mm-hmm. last third to allow for more nuance. Yeah. Also, Roy Thomas is also, I think, the writer who sidelines Sue for... Oh, the majority of his run on the book? Possibly. Although Stan did that a bunch at the end of Jack's run, too. But 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 Roy's the one who does the whole, are Reed and Sue going to get a divorce? Right, right. Storyline forever. Yeah. It lasted forever. Yeah. Uh, and I guess it may be from, like, in hindsight, it lacks suspense. Because, of course, we all know, no, Reed and Sue are not going to get a but divorce. But I guess at the time... They might have. It, it, it's interesting because if you've if you've read either Fantastic Four life story mm-hmm. or Spider Man life story, I think in both those realities, I know at least in Spider Man life story, we get Sue leaving Reed for Namor. Right. We definitely get in Spider Man life story. We get Sue leaving Reed for Namor, and but that was after they had been married. I don't think. The Sue Storm of this timeline would legitimately leave Reed Richards for Namor. Now, maybe after Sue was married to Reed for a little while and realized how much of a how much work it is being married to fucking Reed Richards, <laughs> that she's like, okay, yeah, I'm leaving you. And she shacks up with Namor for a while. But I think in the end, she eventually ends up again with Read. Right. I may be confusing the two life stories. I, it's been a while since I read either of them. They're both really good. They are. I'm just, I'm just confusing the, the two timelines. Go out and read them. They're good stuff. Um, I am sort of surprised that, at least in this first volume of What If, I'm, I'm, I don't know about the second one because it had way more issues, I think. But it, it is surprising that Roy never came back to that. It was like, well, what if they did get divorced? I think... Part of that is that was such a universally disliked story. Uh-huh. Like, I don't know about you, but I, I think a lot of comic fans kind of see Reed and Sue as mom and dad. I, I, there's a little bit of that, yeah. And you don't want to see your parents get divorced. A lot of us had enough of that in real life, so we don't need it in our comic books as well. But there you go. On a lighter note, <laughs> what if number six? Yeah, well, I mean, so before we wrap up on this, just one last thing is that... All right, they do not resolve the Puppet Master part of the story at all. The squid kills him. Oh, does he? Oh, you're right. The, he's in that submarine. Yeah. Yep. It's not yellow, so it's not good times. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I missed that on the page. Yeah. So that it is in- shuts down a whole bunch of 
issues that Alicia will have over the years. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure that happens to Puppet Master in the original story, too. So, <laughs> And he just keeps... I just, it is I, funny, he, he's... They kind of team rocket him every time he shows up in those first few issues. <laughs> oh, Puppet Master blows me up again! <laughs> oh, dear. Like, I have a note in here about when I, when, when when Namor used the Hypnofish. Mm-hmm. Like, ooh, Namor, the Hypnofish? That's a bit rapey. Oh, no, it's worse. It's the Puppet Master. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oh, dear. Yeah, I, I'll say, overall, the, this issue's fine. As a first issue of What If, as a proof of yeah. concept, it is fine. I think it tries, to ad- it tries to address the events of too many issues. Mm-hmm. You know, because it covers, between Spider-Man and Fantastic Four, what, like five or six issues of material? Yeah. At least. And, and like you, I don't entirely buy the decision-making on the last two pages. And that's the problem is it wraps all that up in two pages. Even like entirely too little time has, has passed for Sue to decide, you know what? I'm leaving the team. Right. Right. Because that's the thing is all of the, all of those, even though it is a bunch of issues, it's basically a matter of maybe weeks. Yeah. I mean, we've got space travel involved. So weeks. Yeah. A few weeks. A few weeks have passed, and Sue's just decided, okay, I'm out. I'm leaving behind my family and the love of my life. Right. Although, so at this point, they're not engaged. Johnny's still her family. Yes. So that that's the thing. And that's, yes. But as far as Reed, this is at a point where, in the original run, she's still sort of dancing back and forth and, ref- and not committing, you know? And I'm not sure this is so much an issue with Sue here as it is... Roy Thomas being bad at writing suit. Fair. Yeah. I think that th- that was the point I was making earlier. Yeah, no, I think you're right. That that I think his grasp on the character combined with the need to suddenly wrap up the whole story in two pages. Roy Thomas looked at the problem of Sue Storm as I don't know what to do with this wishy-washy wallflower kind of woman. And he looked at the solution of that as, oh, I replace her with a stronger woman. Replacing her with Crystal. Replacing her, well, not Crystal, because that was standing on Jack. But replacing her with Medusa. Right? Stronger woman. He, he That was his solution for it. As opposed to, say, John Byrne, who's just like, no, let's show how strong woman Sue actually is. Which is also the thing that Stan and Jack tiptoed up to and then backed off of. Yeah. Like, like the Stan and Jack run right in the middle of it came really close to making Sue awesome. Yeah. And then she got pregnant. And rather than figure out how to write a pregnant woman as strong and powerful in her own way, they just disappeared her from the book for a while. At, at, as, as happens. And yeah, they're in, in society at the time. It's, it's messed up. Um, but do you want to go ahead and take a quick break yeah, and we'll come back let's, with, uh, uh shift gears as much as one can shift gears as we move on to the next, what if issue featuring the Fantastic Four? Yeah. <laughs> so in this next issue, we have What If Volume 1, Number 6. It is cover dated December 1977. Writer is Roy Thomas with pencils by Jim Craig and Rick Hoberg. Inks by Sam Granger. Colors by Phil Rash. Letterer John Costanza. Consulting editor Archie Goodwin. 
And a special thanks for plotting contributions to Christy Marks, Rick Hoberg, and Don Glutt. And this issue asks the question, what if the Fantastic Four had different superpowers? And so we once again are introduced by the Watcher to his view of the multiverse, first with a lengthy introduction to what the deal is with the 616 Fantastic Four. We have this opening fight scene in which each of the members of the Fantastic Four uses their powers to take out a group of criminals that are wearing masks. And so we see Johnny Storm flaming on, we see Reed Richards being stretchy, we see the thing clobbering, and we see the invisible woman, or invisible girl at this point, I guess, using her powers to turn the criminals invisible. But then the Watcher poses the question of the cover, of what if things had been different? And so we get... First, after nine pages. Well, and so even here, we're not done with recap because... No, sorry. No, 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 I'll no. hold my nine pages. So the Watcher teases us with the possibility of an alternate reality and then shows us a recap of the origin from Fantastic Four number one. And so the, the spaceship is hit by cosmic rays. Sue turns invisible. Ben Grimm turns orange and rocky, although not quite as lumpy as the original Jack Kirby version. This is sort yeah, of not the oatmeal thing. Right, this is fully formed Bronze Age thing. Johnny Storm bursts into flames, and Reed is stretchy. And then, finally, okay, is is it my turn now? Go, go for it. After nine pages, okay, we, I, I, right. I, 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 we then get a glimpse at an alternate reality where different aspects of the Fantastic Four's personality are affected by cosmic rays. So this is this is Roy Thomas's big conceit here is that the Fantastic Four's powers are directly related to parts of their psyche and personality that manifest as superpowers. And so Johnny is a hothead and so he bursts into flames. Sue is sort of always the shrinking violet at the back of the group and so she turns invisible and so on and so forth. To his credit, Roy Thomas is the first one to hit upon this sure. conceit. And it's cool. It's a cool conceit. Yeah. And so the Watcher asks, what if different aspects of their personalities were affected? And so we get some very different things. Ben Grimm, who is a great pilot coming out of World War II and, and becoming a test pilot after that, he grows gigantic bat-like wings and is zooming around the sky like a cross, be- as he says, like a cross between a dragon's and a fly's. So he calls himself Dragonfly. Yep. Johnny Storm. Clever, kids. Johnny Storm, who is a gearhead, he loves tinkering with cars and other gadgets, transforms into a human robot. And he calls himself... The Mandroid. Yes, he calls himself the Mandroid. Yep. Sue Storm becomes all stretchy in probably the least inspired superpower of the bunch because it's just applying a different one from the original team. Yeah. But, but she... Becomes ultra becomes woman. Becomes ultra woman. She first says, maybe, maybe I'll be, was it Elastigirl or something like that? No, Rubber Girl. He says no, Rubber that, Girl. That, yeah, Elastigirl's a few years later sure. in, some, in some fan art I saw. Wait, no. Uh. <laughs> yeah, she suggests Rubber Girl, says that's corny, and says yeah. Ultra Woman. And then finally, Reed. It's no corner to Mr. Fantastic, sweetie. Right. right. <laughs> Reed turns into a giant brain without a body that can communicate mentally. 
So he gets to shit it in a stick on this right, one. This right, right. So he's immobile. He can't do anything on his own. But he does have tremendous mental powers and briefly takes control of Ben's mind so that Ben will pick up the brain. Thankfully, he's still wearing gloves. Yeah. And proposes that the four of them become a team of superheroes. And again, they name themselves Ultra Woman, Dragonfly, Mandroid, and the Big Brain. Not the last time Reed Richards will take that name, by the way. No, no. Uh, no. And so we get a nice splash page of them in action, and we see we, we skip ahead sometime later. The Natural History Museum has closed, it's after hours, and a group of criminals led by a weird demon creature are trying to steal Blackbeard's treasure. And the dragonfly hmm. swoops in and snatches the, the treasure out of the demon's hand. The Ultra Woman stretches in and sort of wraps herself around the, the other criminals like a, a boa constrictor. The mandroid is actually shot in the face <laughs> and taken by surprise. But eventually they gain the upper hand and suddenly the demon disappears in an explosion of fire and brimstone. And we see all of these events on a monitor being watched by Dr. Doom, who is furious that his plans have been thwarted. He desperately wants Blackbeard's treasure for some reason other than because he wanted it in Fantastic Four number four. And so he makes plans to use this fantastic team to get the treasure for him. He is able to call up their image on his device, which is equal parts science and sorcery, and he can see their exploits fighting Namor and Mole Man and Skrulls, and he is, but he cannot figure out who the fourth member of the team is. And after much concentration, he somehow is able to determine that the brain is in fact his old classmate Reed Richards. So, he makes plans to steal Reed, the brain, and use him to his nefarious purposes. Meanwhile, in the Baxter building, Reed Richards has basically become one with the building. He has built enormous systems of pneumatic tubes which allow him to shoot his brain from one room to the other, and using his mental powers, he basically controls all of the equipment in the building as extensions of himself. Um, yes. The rest of the... Kind of like the tubes that Darwin had on Sequest. You remember the Dolphin Darwin? Oh, yeah. He had the tubes that go, went throughout the sequest, the sequest ship. This is it's like that. Yep. He, it's just little, little brain swimming along. He's got little pools. He can emerge from. Says, "Hi guys, <laughs> I'm creepy looking." <laughs> Anyone need a brain? Can a brain be helpful right now? No. I'll just go back to my lab then. I mean, he doesn't look like a brain here. He looks like the flying spaghetti monster. He does, in fact, with less attachments. Yes. Um. Meanwhile, the rest of the team struggles with their celebrity. Um. Women are all over Ben, causing him to fly away. The local teenagers are mean to Johnny, and so he uses his robot powers to turn stereos all the way up to annoy them. And Sue pines for what could have been with Reed, but also thinking about Ben as a possible replacement. To be clear... She hangs out around a playground. Right, she's she's watching, watching she's watching kids play, and... Wishing that she had kids of her own. So then she transforms her body into a giant top that the children can ride in. Yes. Looks at and I just want to be a, I just want I just want a scene of a parent come along and says, the fuck? And it's incredibly unsafe. 
incredibly unsafe. I would ride the lady next, buddy. <laughs> phrasing. Um, phrasing. Re- I'm putting that clip in. Thank you, Drake. <laughs> Wait, I mean, I didn't. I didn't think Namor had a larger role in this issue. <laughs> oh, 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 dear. But mm. as all of that is happening, we also get Reed, who is also sad that his life with Sue has been disrupted by his transformation into a giant brain. But he is able to keep himself occupied with his scientific pursuits, running the building. Just then, Doctor Doom breaks in and does not identify himself. And of course, because he's wearing metal armor, Reed doesn't recognize him. But Doom offers to basically give Reed a body that that he could make him into a whole person again. And Reed's like, nah, the Baxter building is my body. And Doom plays the trump card and and says, but wouldn't you like to settle down with, with someone you care about? And of course, Reed immediately thinks of Sue and his human weakness causes him to make a deal with Doom. And so Doom encases Reed in a small canister of the the fluid that he needs to survive and is carrying him to his uh, supersonic jet when Mandroid arrives and attacks because as far as he can tell, Doom is stealing their leader. There's a fighty fighty fight. Mandroid is knocked out and Doom escapes with the brain. Johnny tells the rest of the team about what's happened and they fly off toward Latveria to try and rescue Reed. Doom identifies himself to Reed and reveals his plan. He's going to use Reed's brain power to power up his time machine so that he can go back in time and get Blackbeard's treasure. The rest of the team arrives, and just like in the original issue of Fantastic Four, they face various death traps designed specifically to short-circuit their powers, and they make their way to Doom, and there's more fighty fight. Um, Mandroid is able to damage Doom's armor, but in the process he loses a hand. Doom slaps Sue in the face with his bare hand, which causes cool, Doom. which causes Reed to get so angry <laughs> that he mentally overwhelms Doom and causes the entire uh, castle to explode. But it's revealed that in the overload, Reed was able to fully take over Doom's body. And so now, Reed in the body of Victor Von Doom is the new Mr. Fantastic. And so ends the issue. And first off, Dr. Fantastic, sure. Uh, yes. Honestly, always should have been. Always should have been Dr. Fantastic. <laughs> Reed Richards is clearly a doctor. Yes. In fact, completed his degree unlike a certain Victor Von Doom. Exactly. Reed has more call to call himself doctor than Dr. Doom does. Well, no, so... It's- I'm going to no-prize it. Monarch of Latveria Uh, instructed the University of Latveria to give him an honorary doctorate. Of course he did. So, Victor Von Doom is as much a doctor as Bill Cosby is a doctor. (laughs) (laughs) Although... I thought those were um, rescinded. (laughs) It's true. It's true. They they were rescinded. Also, I would just like to take issue. He calls them Reed as Doom says that they are the new Fantastic Four. I don't see anyone with adamantium claws. <laughs> I only, we only acknowledge one new Fantastic Four in this house. Also, all they do to change Dr. Doom's costume is they make the tunic and the cape blue. And they put a big four on the chest. They put a big four on the chest. I, I, I very much feel this is a 
first draft of the uh-huh, costume. Uh-huh. There is there is no way Sue is letting that stand. Right. No, Sue is going to be like, can we call like Tony Stark and maybe get him to rethink some of the armor pieces here? Yeah, yeah, because like, sweetie, you're not wearing pants. <laughs> but he's got armor pants on. <laughs> We, we 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 make Johnny wear shorts. I'm just saying. <laughs> we make Mandroid wear shorts. <laughs> I mean, I, oh. I have to imagine that those shorts are there so that we don't have to answer any questions that no one wants to ask. There's an alternate. There's an alternate universe version of Mallrats. It's like, so is the Mandroid's doink made of steel, or <laughs> <laughs> like, just how living is he? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, so let's talk about the Fantastic Four of this universe. And this is Earth. What Earth is this? Uh, it is Earth 7712. 7, 7. Let's talk about the Fantastic Four of seven, Earth 7712. First off, the point of divergence makes no goddamn sense. <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's totally just a random fluke, right? That they get different powers. You could you yes. could do a million stories just like this with a million different sets of powers. Exactly. Like, this like, is the one that's it, closest to an imaginary story. It there's no occurrence where somebody made a choice differently. Right. right. There's there's no conscious choice. It's what exactly. if a freak accident was replaced by a different freak accident? Yes. The only it, it pulled from a different aspect of their personality than the one it previously did. But like but what caused that? Right. What caused the butterfly to flap its wings? Right, and that's the thing that we are not allowed to know. It's it, they haven't quite got the got the what if concept down, and it makes sense. It's only six issues in. By the way, previous what ifs to this one were, of course, as we've talked about, what if the Hulk had the brain of Bruce Banner? What if the Avengers had never been the classic? What if the event? What if the invaders had stayed together after World War II? By the way, this issue is now canon, right? It is no longer a what if. This actually happened in 616 canon yep. now. And what if Captain America had vanished, had not vanished during World War II? Mm-hmm. A Captain America 2 for there. And then we have 6, the, the this this issue here. I, I will say parts of it, Dragonfly's wings are interesting. Yes. Like, I get that vi- the visually they are interesting. I get that, like, a modern artist would have done them... A lot more justice than they are here because I get the idea that like the flame, the framework of the wings is all fleshy, but like the the majority of the wings are like this transparent, like pinkish material, mm-hmm. like a dragon's wing, dra- like a dragonfly's wing. Yeah, I feel like the coloring is is would be modern co- modern printing and coloring would probably make that clearer. Yes, I think that was the intention here. Sure. But, it's just they couldn't you know, capture that translucence with the way things were printed back then. The way they would with modern comics coloring, yeah. And modern artists being like, yes, you can definitely see through them. Yeah. They're interesting. Jim Craig didn't do a lot of Marvel work. He seems to have been primarily a Bronze Age guy. And other mm-hmm. than these what-if issues and a couple of Marvel 2-in-1s, primarily did issues of Master of Kung Fu. Okay. Like he was on Master of Kung Fu all through the the fifties and sixties of that book. Okay, that makes sense. I, I will say Jim Craig did also do art on Marvel Premiere thirty five, which was Roy's three D Man story. I do love that three D Man story. So it, it seems like we talk a, about it, on the show. it seems like aside from 
a master of kung fu. Craig seems to have worked with Roy, you know? Yeah, yeah. Ultra Woman, fine. It's just, you know, one of the Sue got stretchy powers instead of Reed. Yeah, that's the, to me, that's the laziest one. Laziest one. Predating Elastigirl by a few years. Fan artists catch up. But Mandroid... Mandroid does not make sense. Mandroid is a concept with potential that they don't capitalize on. No. I get the idea that... For, it doesn't make sense that why did Johnny turn into a robot? Well, so again, they're they're extrapolating on the he's a gearhead thing. Yes. But, like, the process needed for him to become a robot makes no sense. Like, if, like, Johnny had been thrown across the cabin into, like, a bank of computers... And then, like, and seemingly died, and then as the, the the rocket crashed, reassembled himself from the parts of the wreck. That would have made sense, right? Right. That, but just that his body itself turns into a machine is weird. That makes no sense. Right. So, what you're asking for is that he be cyborg Superman? Yes. In fact, that's exactly what I'm asking for. You're right. <laughs> that's my brain. That's my brain pulling from 1992. <laughs> Uh, of course, uh, <laughs> that's the other thing about this issue, right, is that the unofficial title of it is What If the Fantastic Four Were the Doom Patrol? Yes, that that too, because Mandroid is clearly Robot right, Man. Right, and and the the DC Elastigirl is Doom Patrol. Yeah, yep. Although apparently Ben becomes Hawkman, mm. up to and including a mace. <laughs> he gets a mace later in the story. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure he, I'm pretty sure he kept that mace too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I mean, what's what's Dooms is Reed's now, apparently. So um, <laughs> you want that mace spin? Sure, go ahead. And and Reed in the issue is kind of a combination of of Minto and the, the villain, the brain. Yes. But yes, I had that in my notes, too. It's basically the Fantastic Four becomes Doom Patrol. Right. Which they always kind of were. Yeah. Well, I mean, so Doom Patrol is a little bit X-Men, a little bit Fantastic Four. Yeah. And Fantastic Four did it first. Yes. Yes. Now, Doom Patrol and X-Men were the two that came out almost at the same time. Yes. Yes. But, but yes. And, of course, Fantastic Four is Jack Kirby redoing Challengers of the Unknown. Right, right. And, of course, which is why all of these things got amalgamated in the, the 90s, right? Challengers of the Fantastic yeah. and the X-Patrol. Yes, exactly why. It's just, it's so, it's, it's a weird little issue. I love how, like... Doctor Doom, Doctor Doom, why do you have a random naked figure of Reed Richards in your home? <laughs> just ready, just ready for you to pop the head off like a Pez dispenser. He borrowed just, it from why, Puppet why? Master. Yes, my note is you're not Puppet Master. <laughs> <laughs> but no, he. You have no reason to have this. He has had that since college. Clearly. Oh, that's that's weird. <laughs> That's that's weird. That's, mm. I, I I love. I would love finding out that you know my old college roommate has a figure of me that they apparently made themselves. <laughs> they've kept since college. Uh, Trays or something. Want to tell me? <laughs> I, but the thing is, is I almost wish that that little figure had somehow come into play later like reed uses mental powers to animate it or something <laughs> to like push a button oh, small soldiers yeah uh, this version of dr doom this is from early enough in the fantastic four's existence that doom d- 
doesn't really have clear motivations for anything yet. No. Like he wants Blackbeard's treasure for reasons. I it was it's because it's radioactive. Right. It's because I remember I remember God, I remember that from when I, I read that issue when I was like seven. It's because it has a unique radiation to it. Yeah. Or something like that. That's the best I yeah, got. In, in this <laughs> issue, they don't elaborate. It's just he wants the treasure for reasons. Yeah. Reason reasons. Doom needs no reason. Right. I can I can build a time machine, but I need that treasure. Yeah. It's just okay. So let's talk about the huge divergence. Well, not the huge divergence, but like the big finale yeah. here. Read Richard's brain in Doctor Doom's body. Mm-hmm. Sure, we've seen it done before. <laughs> I, mean, I guess that's the thing is there's a whole other issue of the Fantastic Four they could have used as the jumping off point to get to that. Yes, from yeah, the same is. era. Yeah, it's just like, and there is no way, no way that the Doom personality is gone forever. No. No way whatsoever. You know Doom's just in the background going like, When the time is right, I shall strike. But also, I want that variation on Superior (laughs) Spider-Man. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Just just just, read in Doom's body, using Doom's, like, political power and, and wealth and technology for good. And meanwhile, in the background, a disembodied Doom is just going, Richard! And, and you know, the rest of the Fantastic Four are just watching, uh-huh. waiting. It's like, okay, he's talking a lot, but is he monologuing? <laughs> in, in case of monologuing, break glass. <laughs> yep, yep. There's a, there's a button that locks the armor up. In fact, yes, there is absolutely. Reed Richards has, a, has given Sue or Ben a special button where, like, if I start monologuing, hit this button, it'll lock up my armor. Well, and so the thing is, this sort of goes back to... A quibble I had with the fight scene is they show us a scene early in the issue where or midway through the issue where Mandroid uses his abilities to control electronic devices. Then when confronted with a Dr. Doom that he can't physically touch because of a force field, he does not use his abilities to control electronic devices and shut down his armor. Yes, you're absolutely right. Instead, he sacrifices an arm. And the only explanation I have for this is Johnny Storm, everybody. Yep, yep. <laughs> Although he does have both hands in the the final image, like when when I can only when Im- they've re reunited and and Richard Reed is Doom. I can only imagine Reed made him a new Probably. one. It's just I would like to have seen more of this Fantastic Four operating first as you know the three agents coordinated by Big Brain back in the Baxter building. Mm-hmm. But also, I want to see more of this team post from the finale. Yes. With, like, Ben being like, hey, wait a minute, Sue, I thought we were starting to get something going here. And, you know, again, I want to see this progression of Reed Richards and Doom's body. Yes. So, evidently, we do get another glimpse of this Earth in the mid-90s Fantastic Force book. Oh no! Oh <laughs> the no! The Tom Brevoort. <laughs> you know, God love Tom Brevoort. Man is a great blogger, <laughs> a, a, a fine hat wearer. Uh, he he he's a great editor. Let's let's just leave it there. He's a great editor. Not a fan of his Fantastic Four run. 
Great editor, Craig. <laughs> great editor, Mr. Brevoort. We love to have you on the show. You're you're a great you're you're a great editor. He was the editor of the Avengers for like twenty years, Craig. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, if we're gonna move on to this next issue, I need a drink first. That that sounds like a good idea. So we're gonna take a quick break, and we'll be right back with What If Volume One, Number Twenty One. What if uh, the the invisible girl married the submariner. Yep. Right after these messages. Her breath would smell like fish. Ah. Oh, hi, Dr. Fernsterner. Ah, ha- hello, Paul. How-, how are you doing these days? Uh, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Since you, um, you know, cured me of my DC OCD, I've got so much more time on my hands. I'm, oh. You know, it's been for the best. Well, personally and professionally, I'm quite proud of what we have achieved, but I have some bad news for you, Paul. Oh? Uh, what? Um, there's something missing without your DCOCD there. Oh. I've even heard friends of yours been saying, you're basic, a little boring. There's no there there. Oh. oh, what should we do about it? My God, I hate to have to say this, but we have to go bring it back somehow. Whoa. Shall we do some more sessions and I can use them to talk about DC events that we haven't covered, like uh, Dark Crisis and uh, Fear State, those sorts of things. I think that might be for the best, Paul. Let's reconvene in 2024 for more sessions of DCOCD. And that'll make me uh, interesting? Uh, we will see, Paul. We, we will see. I'm the Gorton's of Gloucester Fisherman with a totally new kind of fish sticks and fish portions. At Gorton's, we call them batter fried. They're different from the regular kind because they're really crunchy, crunchy and delicious. Because we start with flaky white portions of fish dipped in a rich, thick batter that's made with real eggs. We think ours are the best. And our national survey showed people preferred Gorton's over other leading brands. Try Gorton's batter fried fish sticks and portions. Just tell them the fisherman sent you. All right, Tomb Believers. Here we go. <laughs> what if Invisible Girl of the Fantastic Four married the Submariner? This is What If number 21. Writer is Bill Matlow. Penciler is our old friend Gene Colan, Trey. Yeah. So it's going to look good. Uh, inker is, it's yeah, supposedly. <laughs> inker is Bob Wycheck. Colorist is Carl Gafford. And Tom Orchachowski is our letterer. And. The issue begins with three members of the Fantastic Four, Reed Richards, the Human Torch, and of course the ever-loving Blue-Eyed Thing, fighting the Super Scroll above the streets of New York. And the Super Scroll seems to be getting the better of the three out of four members of the Fantastic Four until the fourth member of the team shows up. And that, of course, is the Amazing Spider-Man. That's right, folks. This is another visit to the Earth where Peter Parker joined the Fantastic Four. The very same Earth we visited in, our, in the first issue of this episode, What If Number One. Uh, and, of course, we see here a brief recap of the end of Number One, where Sue decides to stay in Atlantis with Namor and we get a little bit of a recap of what's been going on since then, up to and including Spider-Man helping to fight the awesome android and Doctor Doom. But of course, the whole time, Reed is criticizing Spider-Man because he's not Sue and he isn't doing it the way she would have. 
And finally, with this fight with the Super Scroll, Spider-Man has had enough. He rips the Velcro 4 <laughs> off his costume, throws it to the ground, and says, I quit. Fantastic Four, no more. Exact. Wow, yes. That ex- yes, exactly. So now the Fantastic Four is now the Fantastic Three, which just, just had the same ring to it. <laughs> Meanwhile... The Watcher explains, of course, this is the same universe we visited before. And then we change scenes to Atlantis, where we find out it's been a year since our our previous visit to this Earth. And Sue Storm is expecting the heir to the Atlantean throne, as she is very, very pregnant. Atlantis is celebrating their their king and queen and, of course, the coming of the new heir. While Sue reflects to Namor that, you know what, I... This is such a big occasion in my life. I miss my friends and family. Namor, will you go fetch them for me? Will you? Ha- I want at least my brother here. My friends Ben and Re- I just see. I-, I get inviting Johnny and Ben. Okay, would you invite Reed? You- you're gonna invite Reed to the birth of your child. Do you? First off, do you really want all those people in the in the room? Like, trust me, guys. They're, they're- Someone who has, you know, been in the room for a childbirth, there are already a lot of people in the room. You don't really want, you know, okay, I'd like my brother there, my f- my brother's friend, and, of course, my o- old boyfriend in the room as well. Because that just seems like that would be best. But Namor, being a simp, <laughs> is like, yes, dear. Of course, dear. He also says, do that, dear. this is a bad idea. But since you're asking, <laughs> I'm going to do it anyway. Simping. <laughs> uh, it, <laughs> Trust me, Trey, it's a lifestyle choice. Uh, <laughs> and it, Meanwhile, at the Baxter building, Reed is reading a headline from the Daily Bugle talking about Spider-Man quitting the Fantastic Four. Will he be replaced somewhat like where George George Harrison quit the Beatles and they were like, well, we can always replace him with Eric Clapton, I suppose. <laughs> but instead, before, that, before they can replace Spider-Man with Eric Clapton, Namor shows up. And Namor's like, hey guys, we just, Sue and I, we're doing a thing, we wanted to cut, wanted to come down, you know, maybe I'll throw some, some, some shrimp on the barbway, that's, that's Australia, not Atlantis. But like, come on, come on down, we'd love, we'd love to have you guys. And Reed goes apeshit. <laughs> like, there's no better way to say it. Both Reed and Johnny just start wailing on Namor. And Ben's just watch this whole thing like, Jeez, old Pete's. Like, Namor gets as far as I cordially invite you, and suddenly he's getting punched in the face. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I'm wrong here. Because right before Namor shows up, I'm sorry, Ben quits the team. Yes. Yes, he does. Because now that now that Reed doesn't have Spider-Man to lash out at anymore, he's now lashing out at Ben. And also, and Ben's like, in this reality... Ben and Spider-Man become friends the way in 616 Johnny and Spider-Man did. Okay, that makes sense. Throughout the beginning of this issue, Ben is the one taking Peter's side. Okay, I can see that. So Ben's like, you know what? I'm out. I quit the team too. Hey, maybe Alicia and I can finally go get hitched. Mm -hmm. Because apparently being part of the Fantastic Four was the thing that was stopping Ben from marrying Alicia, even though I'm pretty sure that was never the case. Right, right. I'm pretty sure the reason he didn't marry Alicia is because he was so down on himself and didn't want her stuck with him. Mm-hmm. But okay, sure. Then we have the big fight with Namor, Johnny, and Reed. And basically, Namor's like, you know what? 
I don't need this. You started this fight. Um, I'm leaving. Just know that if you want to start further fights with me, Atlantis is more than willing to meet your meet it, which gives Reed an idea. And he, a few days later, addresses the UN <laughs> with a doctored film of Namor. He has deep-faked Namor. <laughs> he has deep-faked a Namor. You could, you could tell because, you know, the eyes don't move and it's just... The, the wings have too many feathers. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. But he's like, listen, Namor just flat out told me, as you've seen this clearly real video, that he is going to invade the surface world. And just to remind you of how bad that could be, here's a footage of a giant monster attacking New York, which I'm pretty sure has happened at some point. It's also like, just funny that I am going to show you a video of what will happen. Exactly. Again, like, and what what did he use to make this? Certainly not AI! <laughs> That's clearly footage that he's borrowed from a a Toho kaiju movie. (laughs) And he's just, like, superimposed Namor on the front of it. (laughs) (laughs) But, of course, Ben Grimm stands up from the crowd and is like, Actually, no. This film has been doctored. Here's the original, where clearly he's just talking to Reed about Reed being an asshole. This raises so many (laughs) questions. So... One, like, I guess there are security cameras filming everything that happens in their living room. And two, Ben somehow got access to that footage after having left the team. Yes. And, like, first off, how did Ben know that this wasn't the way things went down? He wasn't there. Right. Right. And, and, and Is he just checking the security footage three, at night? Ben is clearly taking off a disguise in that first panel where he's standing up. Which suggests that he was just sort of there on the front row, and nobody noticed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a little bit the, like that never- like Batman pulling off the rubber mask and having the, the cowl on underneath. <laughs> and it, it, like, it, it's, it's really funny, because right next to him is Johnny Storm. Right! Right! <laughs> Did Johnny not realize that Ben was next to him? <laughs> so, I have two words for you. Johnny Storm. If you thought 616 Johnny Storm was dumb, wait a minute, it's very truth across all realities of the multiverse is Johnny Storm <laughs> is a himbo. Fair. Fair. Even when he's a broody, moody robot yep. man. He still has the hair. So the UN basically says, Dr. Richards, this is the Wendy's, you need to leave. Uh, <laughs> and after he's been publicly shamed by his best friend, yep. um, Ree Richards decides, well, if this is going to be a two-man request for vengeance, so be it. And this is where the war crimes start, folks! Yep, yep. Thus does a grief-torn heart rationalize its actions. Yep. And boy, are they some actions. (laughs) I might need another drink. (laughs) To start with, we have the Human Torch firebombing Atlantis. Yep. Like Dresden in the war. Hmm. Except, how? So, this is a thing that goes back to early Fantastic Four, when Johnny takes those oxy pills or whatever, it provides his body with enough oxygen to ignite even underwater. The body, yes. But how is he unleashing these fireballs that still retain enough firepower when reaching the bottom of the ocean to still rock the shit out of Atlantis? Yeah, that, that, that makes no sense. Like, Atlantis is crumbling around these people. And I'm just like, how? How? So while Johnny, again, is committing a war crime, Reed's like, oh, really? Watch this. 
takes an oxygen pill, descends to the bottom of the ocean, and redoes a genocide. Pretty much. Pretty much. Not not even that. He pulls an Osmandius because he. We don't see him do the genocide. We see him go to Sue's chambers, and when no, we do we do see him. We see him plant the device. We do. We're not really told what exactly it's going to do. No, but we do see him plant the device. Yes. And then then he visits Sue's chamber because Sue has fallen ill over the stress of the firebombing of Atlantis, which valid. Yep. <laughs> she has become faint and has had to retire from her bedchamber because, of course, it's time. Her water has broke. Although, how do you tell that uh, underwater? I'm not sure, but... I mean, I have questions about sleeping in beds underwater anyway, but... Yes, yes, her time is near. And so she retires with her to her chamber with her midwives, including Dorma, a frequent Namor alternate love interest, yep. who in this universe apparently has gotten affection for Krang, a previous villain in the 616 universe who usually just kidnaps her and stuff. Yep. But now... They have grown closer now that she realizes that Nemo is no longer an option. Reed arrives in the bedchamber and doesn't realize that Sue is pregnant. Right. Like, multiple times, looks at Sue and's like, huh, Sue looks weird, but why? Yeah. Like, Reed, I get that this universe's version of you isn't seeing quite as many naked women as he's used to, as the 616 version he's used to. But please tell me you have some knowledge of female anatomy and the human reproductive process. <laughs> like, seriously, is this Reed Richards a virgin? Oh, God, he is. Almost certainly. He is. Almost certainly. He's an insult. Yes. He's an insult. Yep. Oh, my God. Oh, we're seeing an insult genocide. Oh, oh, no. Oh. Yep. Oh no, that's, that's bad. Oh, this is so bad. And of, eventually, he realizes. Oh wait, she's pregnant. Because <laughs> apparently, he has had some human biology class at some point when getting his multiple PhDs. And and this, of course, is around the time where Namor burst in. But then all the guards and midwives start feeling faint, and Reed reveals that the right. device he planted earlier... This is the Osmandius moment where I'm not trying yes. to take you out. I already did. And I, yeah, exactly. I have planted a device that will alter the biology of all the Atlanteans, robbing them of their ability to breathe underwater, forcing them to the surface world where they'd be absorbed by the rest of humanity. And thus, I will leave you a king without subjects. No, Reed. You are, if not straight out committing genocide, at least committing ethnic cleansing. Yeah. Yeah. Not good. Not good. He's no. also not put Th any thought into the fact that his wife has, or not his wife, Sue, his would-be girlfriend, has been permanently genetically altered to breathe underwater. This will affect her, too. Yes. Yes. And eventually... After Sue turns against him, Sue's Sue uses her powers against him here, yep. and to throw him across the room, basically, to in order to save Namor's life. Eventually, this is where Reed realizes, "Oh wait, I could have killed Sue too." Yes, Reed, you were in the room. Right. You were in the room right. when she went to the giant machine to make her a, 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 a sea breather. Reed, buddy, of course. Uh, Right after that, Namor is like, I came to you 
to invite you to celebrate with us. And Reed is like, then you did come in peace. Yes, Reed, that's what he said the first time. When he was in your window, he he said, I'm inviting you to a celebration. Just like, anyway, we don't talk about it really that much, but there's this point where Krang decides, I'm going to sneak away and save everyone, and dies. Um, Namor decides, well, I'm going to go and save everyone. But Reed's like, no, you'll die. So instead, Reed um, stretches himself forward ahead of Namor, using Namor's punch to do it. I kind of like that. That was actually a clever use of his powers, yes. He, 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 He uses Namor's punch to propel him out the window so he can get to the device before Namor, who might have been killed by it. And he finds Dick Krang. It's like, dang, that's a shame. And deactivates the device, saving Atlantis. Sue and Namor's child is born. Everybody rejoices. And Reed realizes the error he's made and decides that he will make it his life's mission to to reestablish peace between Atlantis and the surface world. Johnny, though. Johnny's having none of it. Johnny's like, screw you guys. My nephew, I don't give a crap. Like, my nephew, I will be nah, back, nah. and next time I'll do five genocides, and there will be hookers and cigars <laughs> and gambling. <laughs> and blackjack! <laughs> Which, I want to see that story. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> Johnny's like, I gotta put together a team of supervillains. Somehow. <laughs> and he ends up with, like, the Beatle. No, it would be great. <laughs> it would be great if it's all villains that first appeared in Strange Tales. <laughs> yes. Like Plant Man. Oh, so it's the Frightful Four. Sure. He goes and joins the Frightful Four. <laughs> uh, yes. What What if the Human Torch joined the Frightful Four? Or, the Frightful Five! What if, or what if he can't actually get any real villains, so all he can get are those three guys that worked for Doctor Doom that one time? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> and like, all right, we're going to do a genocide. <laughs> what, what, what do you mean your, pa- your, your powers aren't conducive to genocide? <laughs> What do you do? I mostly just put out fires. <laughs> How did you pose a threat to us? <laughs> and of course, the secret is that they didn't. No, they really <laughs> didn't. Although I'm, I'm pretty sure they're stuck in some alternate universe that Doom sent them Probably. to. Probably. Ugh. Poor guys. So this is a weird but one. Yeah. The, the 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 one where Reed does a genocide, which may be our episode title. Yeah, yeah. Well, and so... It is, I think, the first issue of What If that is a sequel to a previous issue of What If. Yes. Um, Cue the Watcher saying, I don't usually do sequels. Right, right. And the thing is, is I thought Reed was bad in the first issue. He's worse here. Yes. I went back and listened to the episodes that the Fantastic Ass mm. did for for these issues. And they, they put it very succinctly here. This is classic toxic masculinity. Yeah. Yeah. No, this is the only reason this is not the worst Reed Richards ever is because the maker exists. Exactly. Although, I mean, this this behavior is very consistent with the maker's behavior it later. Is. Yes, absolutely. The the signs were there, yeah. folks. And it's not like, you know, 616 Reed Richards didn't, you know, make space Guantanamo. Right, right, right. No, the during Civil War, the, the 2000s were not kind to the characterization of Reed Richards. No, no, I like this is 
this is genocide. Yeah, this it's, is it's rough. It's genocide, or at least ethnic cleansing. Like, if you make the argument that you know all the Atlanteans, okay, they they get to the surface safely, and they are forcing reintegration into humanity. You are still eliminating Atlanteans as a as a race. Yep. Yeah. It's definitely at least ethnic cleansing. But the thing is, and again, what Annie and Steve point out in the Fantastic Cast, some of those Atlanteans aren't going to make it to the surface. Right. Right. Like, that's a long way up. Yep. And you've robbed them of their ability to, to breathe underwater. Yep. And, and even if they have, <clears throat> like, ships and vessels and things, they're not rigged for oxygen breathers. Nope. Um, nope. And you're you're making the argument here that Atlantis are just going to effortlessly blend back in with human society. They're bright blue. Yeah, they're bright blue. Humans aren't cool with people of different colors from them that they're used to. Yep. You're putting a new color into the mix here? Right, right. That's not going to go the way you think it is. I mean, they're all just going to be accused of being mutants anyway. Yes. Which, mutants aren't really a thing yet in the continuity. But, I mean... That's definitely what's going to mm-hmm. happen. Also, this issue sort of formally answers the question of issue one of what if Spider-Man joined the Fantastic Four? And the answer is it wouldn't last long. No, apparently not. Because he's gone by like, what, page seven? <laughs> Something like that? Yeah, exactly. It's just, ah, hmm. Okay, then. But on the plus side, this is the last we see of this universe. Really? And this Reed Richards, because of course they would never revisit this. I mean, I can't imagine why they would. It's it's sort of a really miserable version of the team. Exactly. I mean, there's no way the team would ever come back together. No. Certainly, no. Um, definitely not. Except, well, yeah, th- there is that other volume of what if. Anyway, listeners, if. You want to clarify for us the definition between genocide and ethnic cleansing? You can do so by reaching out to us. <laughs> our, email, our email address. Is, Your answer might or might not be read on the air, <laughs> depending on level of incrimination. Uh, oh, oh, Jesus Christ! Oh, res- e- g- email from netanyahu at gmail.com. What? <laughs> I might cut that joke out. Uh, you can reach us at tomb of ideas at gmail.com are we're on the various social medias all of them at tomb of ideas it's on blue sky at tomb of ideas instagram at tomb of ideas facebook facebook.com slash tomb of ideas and trey you really feel like we would have you know recorded a version of this already we just insert into episodes <laughs> one would think although this next part i do change up from time to time just to switch out what titles I mentioned, we are proud members of the Cinepunks podcasting group. And so you will find our entire back catalog, all of our episodes, all the way back to episode number one on Cinepunks.com. That's Cinepunks with an X. It's a great website with a lot of other great shows too. You can check out the flagship Cinepunks podcast, Twitch of the Death Nerve, The Shame List, Horror Business, and much, much more. In fact, as we we're recording this, just a day or two ago, they pu- published their Guide to 2023 Cinema, some of the Cinepunks people's favorite movies of the past year. So be sure to check out Cinepunks.com. Okay, sure, if you're a professional like you, it's easy. <laughs> <laughs> but, love listeners, 
we do hope you'll join us for our next episode. It's going to be another grab bag right. episode. We'll, we'll try and, and randomize things even more this time. The clearly our old randomizer is malfunctioning. We're, we're gonna we're gonna change things up. We're gonna reprogram it. We're gonna figure out a way to get three fresh, totally random issues for you to enjoy. You know, we should probably do that now so they can have their homework for next episode. Oh, yeah, yeah. Let's go ahead. I'll yeah. I'll, I'll tinker um, with it. Give me you know, vamp, 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 vamp. The girl from Five hours later. Okay, I, I think I think I fixed it. I think I've I've resolved okay. whatever weirdness was going on. Let's try this again. All right. So our first selection for next episode's grab bag episode is Trey. First up, we have. What if number 36? Wait a minute. Another what if? What? Okay. Okay, but this one, this one's definitely not a Fantastic Four okay, one, right? Okay, so I'm looking at the cover, and this one is, what if the Fantastic Four had not gained their powers? Okay, are you sure you fixed it? I promise. I I, I mean, you heard the noises, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. I heard you making hammer sounds with your mouth. Like, well, How would you recommend fixing it? Like this. Okay, next one. Okay, definitely not a Fantastic Four winner. Okay. See, there we go. What if? Huh. Okay. This is I fixed it. I swear. This isn't looking good, but continue. Hold on. Volume two. Oh, oh, oh. Okay. So we got an ellipsis. 19. Okay. What if the vision of the Avengers conquered the world? That's not a Fantastic Four book. Mission accomplished. There we go. I will take it. Release the banner. <laughs> Where's my aircraft carrier? <laughs> and then, of course, for our third selection, let's pull the lever. Fixed everything. Now uh-huh. you're welcome, yeah. Trey. Yeah. Let's see how it is. It's going to be... What if volume two, number 35? What if the Fantastic Five fought Dr. Doom in a... Is this the same team that we just talked about for two issues straight? Wait, wait, wait. Hold on, hold on. There's a, there's a, a box at the bottom corner of the cover. Oh, James, I think what? I know what's happening. Why? What? What? Huh? I'm Quake. Oh, God damn it! Did we get caught another crossover arc? <laughs> I think so. I think... Oh. I don't... I think the Watcher might have taken over our randomizer. So be sure to join us as we talk about what if Fantastic Five fought Doctor Doom and Nihilus. Time Quake, part one of five. It'll be fun! So until next time, Tomb Believers, curse you, Watu! I I got nothing.
been listening to the Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel Horror Podcast. Until next time, Tombers. Time for go to bed.